Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Gabri Krista is on the move, and I mean that literally. A choreographer, dancer, filmmaker, writer, and teacher, Gabri has worked with such companies as Danza Contemporanea de Cuba, Dan's Abierta, and the Bill T. Jones Arnie Zane Dance Company. Her work has been presented nationally, internationally, and locally at Central Park Summer Stage, Lincoln Center Out of Doors, Symphony Space, and Dance Theater Workshop. An associate professor of professional practice at the Department of Dance at Manhattan's Barnard College, Godry directs the Movement Lab and specializes in dance on film. Her most recent, Sheila, is a documentary about Sheila Rohan, one of the founding dancers of the prestigious Dance Theater of Harlem. Gabri conceived and curated Moving Body, Moving Image Festival, a biennial presentation of dance films focused on issues of social justice presented at the college. This year's program, however, centers on the moving body with disabilities, a very personal connection for Gabri, whose mother was a special ed teacher and worked with teens who were physically and mentally impaired. Born in Curacao, Gabri was trained in the Netherlands, and she lives in New York City. So let's meet and get to know Gabri. Krista, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely from Manhattan today. Thank you, Sandy, for having me here. It's an honor, and thank you for your interest. So Gabri, were you always on the move when you were growing up? Were you a dance nut as a kid? No. <laughs> no, actually, I was not a dance nut, but I... Um, well, I do come from a family of, I would say, people who moved around. Um, my parents are both not from Curacao. And then also there's a long lineage of my grandparents um, coming, which includes Jewish, Chinese and African heritage through wow. slave, slavery and um workers from China that came after slavery to Suriname, where my dad's from. And then my great my grandfather moved to Curacao to work for the Shell Oil Refinery. And my dad was born there. And then my mom is from the Netherlands. So it's this You're a walking Dutch- United Nations, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> well, it's definitely a, a Dutch colonial uh history. Mm-hmm. For sure. So so I did grow up with this sense of pack up and leave that wasn't such a big thing and leave living and being raised on a small island, you always look outside and, you know, that's just what you do. And you are raised with the idea that you go to college in the Netherlands because Mm -hmm. we don't really have a big university. So was living in Curacao a bit like living in paradise? I just love being there and just swimming. And I was struck by how many tourists there were also from Hmm. the United States. My whole plane was full with American tourists, which is not something I grew up with. So we had some Dutch people, but American tourism was not really large. So that's that's I think that's new. Uh huh. So you lived full time in Curacao till you were what age? Seventeen. Seventeen. And that's when you moved to the Netherlands to go to go to college. Yeah, I went to study journalism and that didn't pan Ah. out. (laughs) Uh uh-huh um i went to study journalism not thinking that one would become a professional artist Um, but i switched after a year discovered dance and um auditioned and did the pre-selection year for school for new dance development as the university of the arts in amsterdam 
And uh, that's where I did my undergrad in dance. You know, that's not very common, is it, Gabri? Because of some of the dancers who I have met, you know, they kind, of, they kind of came out of the womb dancing, or that was true of singers as well, that there was, you, they couldn't help but but move and, and, and be impacted by the music. And that didn't come to you early on. No, I mean, I was dancing and my dad was always dancing. So there was a social dancing. Um, I did, however, I come from the whole yoga lineage. I started yoga at nine before people did yoga, as I was mm-hmm. Um, and so my first venture into dance was in high school when I started creating solo dances and those were basically yoga poses. <laughs> to music, set to music. Set to music, making my own costume. Um, and this woman, Dolly Becker, said one, when I left the Curacao said, you should really study modern dance. And I was like, what's that? Um, but I followed her advice and went to see a performance. I saw Trisha Brown, actually, which blew me away. Um, oh, interesting. And some, mm-hmm. yeah, some other performances, and I decided to quit journalism. Although I did work as Radio World Broadcasting, paying part of my studies while I was dancing. So you did your college years, all of your college years were spent in the Netherlands? Yes. Yeah, my undergrad. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Undergrad. And how did you wind up in the States? That's a really long story. I don't think we have time for it, but... um, Well, you can give me the highlights. Yeah, the highlights is that after I finished um, my undergrad, I had a very successful evening-length production called Orange Melted, which dealt with sort of the strange position of people from the Netherlands, people of color from the colonies, who feel that their Dutch carry Dutch passport, their main language is Dutch, as is in my case, but while you're there, you kind of don't belong, definitely at the time. Um, And I made a piece about that with music, dance, a lot of dance. Um, That was really well received. And as a result of that piece, I received uh, sort of a scholarship, fellowship, And decided to go to Cuba because in my work, I was dealing with the the hybrid forms of this contemporary dance and Caribbean dance. And um, in, in Cuba, they were very advanced in this kind of establishing identity through dance, basically. Mm-hmm. In the Danza Contemporanea de Cuba, they had the, uh, La Tecnica Cubana at the time. I was really attracted to that. And I went to study actually just for a month, but then decided I needed to go back and stay there and um, went back to the Netherlands and then managed to get some other fellowship and uh, went to Cuba and didn't leave. <laughs> huh. Yeah, yeah. I, I got into the company there. Uh, I was also founder of a company, Danza Abierta, started choreographing and because I... Uh, made a choreography for the main company um, they were able to pay me because of course my money had run out um, sort of an exchange so I taught at the uh, ISA Instituto Superior de Arte which is like sort of university and I danced in the company and got paid as a choreographer I mean a lot like 300 mm-hmm. pesos which was like nothing but um, I could stay and it also made that I got an um, like a work 
permit kind of a thing from the Cuban government. Give us some context. What year are we talking about? Oh, I'm, we're really talking about end 80s, 90. Yeah. In the 80s. Uh huh. Yeah. So yeah. you stay in Cuba and it's working for you. And then you were on the move again, right, Gabri? What came after Cuba? And so after Cuba, I um, went back to the Netherlands. Um, I left Cuba basically because it's, you know, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's hard. Just also then we got entered a special period. There was not a lot of food. And I love the dancing, but I also thought, well, I I have a choice. So I don't have to live this life. And then I went back to the Netherlands, basically had a complete culture shock, which I didn't realize until years later. Just couldn't readjust, did make work again. And then I was invited first to go to Puerto Rico to make work there um, by people I met while being in Cuba, because Cuba has a lot of dancers and choreographers that visit. And uh, Puerto Rico, and then I stayed in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and Puerto Rico is, um, it reminded me of Cuba, but of course it's uh, hard. It's an American system all of a sudden. Um, and through Puerto Rico, I actually was invited to come perform in New York through the former dance theater workshop, uh, David White and Marianne Soto who saw my work in Cuba and uh, in Puerto Rico and invited me to come perform in New York. And I started coming back and forth from Puerto Rico to New York and then ended up staying in New York. And So there was a lot of flexibility in your life back in the day that nothing kind of stood in your way. If you were going to move to Puerto Rico, you moved to Puerto Rico. And then it was when it was time to leave, it was time to leave. So that that says a lot in terms of flexibility and a willingness to experiment and try things. We couldn't put you in a box. No, no, definitely not. And also uh, what the driving force was also always the dance in that, you know, the the curiosity about the dance and definitely curiosity about, let's say not the mainstream dance, but just really attracted to what people in Puerto Rico and in Cuba were doing and creating out of this sort of post-colonial world. Um, Okay. And identifying with that. And also, I think, yeah, I was just, I'm generally a really curious person. I still am. So I also like living in places that I don't know. I didn't speak Spanish before I went. So it was also a great way to learn Spanish. So that's that. You And you didn't speak Spanish when you went to Cuba? No. <laughs> no. Wow. wow. I did. But, you know, you get very far with just talking and learning a few words every day. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, I was already spoke three languages. So I well, spoke two, basically. And so it's you have kind of a framework of learning a language. I was not like afraid of learning a new language, both in dance, new language, and then just literal language. And also, it was really interesting to live in a uh, in a place, a society so different from me. So there's definitely that, you know, the, the the part of like, oh, this is interesting. This is so different than what I know, both mm. from going to the Netherlands, from Curacao, and then coming to per- to Cuba and then going to Puerto Rico, which was suddenly reminded me of um, Cuba, but it was really a weird, strange colonial place because of the American system that's there and the sort of, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. So when you came to the States, again, what year was that? When you came to the States? Um, that's going to be in 93. In 1993. And you 
came directly to New York? You knew that that's where you wanted to be or that was where you should be? Not at all. I um, had performed at that time already twice in New York. Um, rather successful. I had made some friends that coming back and forth. I mean, there are three daily flights or something at the time to New York. And I came to New York to think. <laughs> had a li- like really barely any money in my pocket and was actually thinking that I probably would end up going back to the Netherlands. Um, but in the month that I came to New York, um, I found an affordable apartment. As you know, that's pretty, still pretty. Yeah, that's strange. like a needle in a haystack. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I also got like a teaching, dance teaching assignment in a school. And I got a little bit of money. And actually the doors really opened for me in New York. I have to say it, it's, um, I felt that, oh, I never thought of moving to New York. Um, never a city that really attracted me. I know a lot of people say that for me. It really never was. Um, but then I thought everything has been such a fight, both the Netherlands, Cuba and Puerto Rico. It's great and, and adventurous, but it was also difficult. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, this was so easy. It was really uh, difficult on, on a lot of fronts. Um, and so when things actually opened up for me in New York, I just decided to stay and just say, well, I see, I can always go back to the Netherlands or to Curacao. Yeah, I mean, I think that always gave me a lot of comfort. It's not like I was supported financially by anybody, but, you know, I uh, have great parents and family and friends elsewhere. I also here now, but um, so I always had sort of the security that I could go live somewhere, right? And I think that gave me confidence, yes. It's more than dance that that describes you, Gabri. And so how did you kind of make your way from one, in quotes, profession to another? I always saw myself as a maker. So in high school, I just made these dances. I wrote uh, poetry. I did I did a little bit of acting in in films um, back home. And um, I still see myself as a maker. You know, I, I try. I just say choreographer, filmmaker, because if I say I'm a maker or I'm an artist, it's so broad. But in in, in fact, I don't. Uh-huh. Feel, I feel that choreography and dance is and yoga is the foundation of who I am. But um, you know, maybe I'll write a book. I don't know. I have no plans right now. But <laughs> but dance clearly from from what I read about you takes on a different meaning, doesn't it? I mean, in terms of body image and moving body image, that that that's what spoke to you. Yeah, I think dance as a way of expression and dance is also so immediate without words. It's also such a great way of communicating across countries, right? Um, that's also why one can move as a dancer because sure. even with limited language, you have still have the physical language and you connect and you build a network rather easily, I would say. And so I really was thinking for many years only to the physical body. And and on many ways, I still do. Mine is I've always had this uh, social inclination. As I said, my first work, already dealt with so inequities between the people from the colonies and the people born in the Netherlands at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was more that I felt that 
dance wasn't enough. And therefore I started expanding, incorporating, well, I already incorporated language in my very first work, but incorporating um, film and then projections in my work. And then I decided to just one day I was going to make films (laughs) myself. For every avenue that you go down, you are communicating, whether it be through your body or through the spoken word or through film. And so I'm guessing that all of that was in a way a natural act for you, moving from one, quote, profession to another, that they're all linked. They are all linked. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They're all linked. It's, it, I don't see it as separate. I, I see it as a sort of a fluid movement. Um Film deals also with a moving image, right? So it's, sure, it's yeah. moves. You still deal with context and content and light and space, and you still communicate in a different way, but still there's still a lot of similarities. You work both both you work with people, so maybe different, maybe more language when you do film. So I, I didn't see it at the time when I started making, I didn't see it as such a big jump. I never saw like, and now I'm also doing this. It was, I'm going to change careers or now I'm going to be a filmmaker. It was more of an extension of what I wanted to express. So Gabri, is it fair to say that either A, there weren't a lot of roadblocks in your life, or if there were, you just managed to overcome them, that it wasn't a slog for you to do what you needed to do for you, personally and professionally? There are a lot of roadblocks. So my friends will say, oh, you know, it's amazing that that there were a lot of roadblocks. And it, it was also hard. It seems, you know, in retrospect, it seems I just did one of them, went from one thing to the other. And it was like, oh, how do you make money? That how do you get funding for it? Who sees your work? Um, I think when I am really invested in an idea, I don't really think about one who's gonna like it, how I'm gonna do it. I'm just really focused on getting the vision I have in my head out there, and then also only then I think, oh my god, or I'm completely shocked if people don't like it. Not everybody likes your work, or <laughs> it, or if you make something and nobody, like nobody um, programs it. I mean that happens right. too, and that often gets really hard. And in a system like in the United States, but also elsewhere, where the arts are not, especially the kind of work I make, it's not big commercial art. I'm not against commercial art. I mean, I would be great if I could make commercial artists. I think that's just not um, what I'm doing. Um, yeah, every time you sort of have to pick yourself back up and say, oh, I have to go again. How am I going to do this? How am I going to mm-hmm. fund this? How am I going to find people? And it does get discouraging and it, it, uh, I do get discouraged. But then the thing that I want to do still gets to be more important than the thing I don't, than the other thing. So I think the drive is actually what gets me to do it and not the obstacles. Sure. I say this so often to the guests this tie that binds, and there are several, is this strong sense of self, 
I'm going to try this. Maybe I won't make it. Maybe I'll fail, but that won't stop me. And that's such a great quality to have that it almost becomes a natural act for you. You do what it is you need to do for you and nothing's going to stop you. Yeah, I, I, I would say that's pretty correct, actually. Um, and and it's it's something that people say, you know, something is it a calling? But for me, it's like really clear that's what I have to do in life. Um among other things, but that's sort of the, the, the thing that keeps me sane, honestly. And mm-hmm. the thing that helps me make sense of the world. Um, so talk to me about your work with professional practice and, and dance at Barnard and these festivals of the moving body and the moving image. What's the genesis of that? I feel really blessed to be there because um, they... The department was really looking for a more interdisciplinary person. So I've been able to develop screen dance, the making of dance films. And I came to them also as already a curator. My prior position was artistic director at uh, Snuck Harbor Cultural Center, where I implemented a lot of programs that they still are um, doing. And I'm I'm a maker, but also um, an, uh, I like to say if a maker of an, or a facilitator of other people's projects or my own projects mm-hmm. or things that are helpful. So it does not necessarily right. always have to be my thing, if you know what I mean. Gotcha. And gotcha. So I came from the curation background and I had the idea of starting a festival f- before I came to Barnard. Actually, I wanted to do it at um, when I was at Snug Harbor. And then when I moved to Barnard, um, I brought that idea with me. And as a filmmaker, I've been in different screen dance festivals and the, they were really broad to so all different kinds of films. And I really wanted something more thematic and more focused on a social issue and just a way of deeply thinking about brown bodies on screen or aging bodies as the last one. Um mm-hmm those films from this different artists from over the world and then together they give a tiny little glimpse in um a subject or in in people basically who are othered right and who we don't often see because one of the things in dance and in film it's uh young certain beauty standards and not and that also goes for 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 dancing of itself and then of dance films so I really wanted to have a space where there was more inclusivity, but also that more space to give a voice for different voices. Is is that what drove you to tackle Sheila to make that documentary? Was that the catalyst for you? Well, Sheila, in a way, came out... It's influenced by the um, the festival I did two years ago, and actually also I was an, I still am a senior Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Global Brain Health. That's another uh, multimedia solo performance I did around dementia and um, uh, my mother living with dementia. And um, while I did the um, the fellowship is basically a training program with a lot of neuroscientists out of UCSF and Trinity College, which is uh, two years ago. I started to think about invisibility of aging women mm, mm. everywhere. 
more so than the dementia and then also uh, looking at my mother's life the trauma she had in world war ii which i'm thinking about a lot now with ukraine of course mm -hmm. the effect that had on her brain development but also seeing from her but also other women once kids leave when they don't feel seen in society anymore how that really affects the brain health hmm. and their self-esteem and their sense of self so i got really interested in aging and then when i was looking around i saw that that in fact in the world that I know, I see a lot of older, and I may say older, 60 plus, 50 plus, mm -hmm. women who are vibrant and doing great things till, till their 80s or longer, right? And that's the people we never see. And so, or we forget about, or we talk they about- They become invisible. They become invisible. So yeah, and so I'm also doing an, a journal in Scholar and Feminist, and it's, it's literally called To Make Visible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm so Sheila was, is one of the women I know, one of the founders of Dance Theatre Harlem. And I just wanted to tell her story in a short experimental documentary in a different way of just making people curious about this still very vibrant woman, still dancing, and also telling the story about her lineage as one of the founders of Dance Theatre of Harlem, because we often just hear Arthur Mitchell founded Dance of Harlem, but of course he couldn't have done that alone. There were all these women supporting him. So it's a lot of, a lot of my work is really about sort of counter narrative or, or, and not, mm -hmm. I'm not dogmatic, but saying, hey, look at this, maybe look at this in yeah, this way. Yeah, we gotta maybe step back. Step yeah. back. Maybe I can pick your curiosity. Maybe I can help you think about this. Not like you have to think about this, but maybe consider that this might be normal, that there are a lot of, really active, vibrant people and, and who are strong and potent and not as often portrayed as aging, uh, sitting in a chair and not doing and anything. And marginalized and invisible. And, marginalized and invisible, yeah. And yeah. so that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the idea. And so Sheila came out of that, but also current things I'm writing and, you know, I might just come out <laughs> constantly making work about it. And it has influenced me thinking about that and also looking at my own work and thinking, oh, I've always had intergenerational um, works. I've always had different ages in my work, but the lead character would be younger, right? And so how do I flip that in my work? And that's started to change. And I think that will never go back often because I'm so conscious of this right now, how even with all that knowledge, I still, um, yeah, I still was influenced by sort of the young, pretty lead. If what about this uh, concept of the issue of social justice that is your focus with this festival, that feeling the need to what? To share what? To expose what? Um, feeling the need to expose or expose, I'm not sure if I would choose the word expose, to shine a Highlight. light. Yeah, to highlight yeah, yeah, for a little yeah, bit yeah. a variety of people who are made visible, made invisible. And in this case, it would be um, people with disabilities who've been quite vocal and who started to really make work in dance companies over the last couple of years. I mean, not by any means now. Really fighting to be... Uh, complete human beings to be 
full dancers, even in a wheelchair or even visually impaired, you know. And um, Mm -hmm. so it's really, I would say what I want to do is really to make everybody be equal and valued and not just young, you know, like everybody. Everybody is a human being and should get equal dignity. And 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 just not be dismissed and just not being pushed off to the side. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's, that's really very important. And what's so un- on some level unfortunate about that is that we're still having to do that. Yeah. I mean, it would be great if I didn't have to do a festival, that everything was inclusive all the time. Right. And also the fact that as you were talking and before, how personal your work is, you're putting yourself out there in a very different way. That must be very empowering for you. Yeah, you know, it's it's both empowering and also I don't think I'm I'm rare. I think that a personal story is super universal. It's just the mo the best way I can access things. Okay. Um it it helps, right? If if I can look at my mother who is now wheelchair bound and if when I'm with her, how I have to help her and then realize what's not working. She's in the Netherlands, so it's much better than if she would live in New York, where a in lot In terms of the care, you mean? In terms of care and also in just getting around with a wheelchair, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's easier mm-hmm. um, because they are further along in thinking about all the people. Yeah. So every road you go up and down, there is a way, there's a little ramp everywhere. But then when you come back to New York, I, I walk in the subway and I'm like, and I've, you know, I'm a mother. So I remember carrying my carriage up and down the stairs and no yeah. elevator mm-hmm. inside, right? So that's just a wheelchair yeah. option. But there are, of course, many other kinds of disabilities and not just... Um, not just physical disabilities or not just the visible disability, which is uh, if somebody uses a wheelchair. It just gave me an other understanding that I might otherwise not have had of a different level of empathy probably or a different level Mm of awareness of the difficulty of navigating a place maybe with a wheelchair. And and then you still learn because this year we have three films around... um, Visual imp- one is done by visual impaired filmmaker um, in documentary. Not as much dance in it. There's one dancer in it, Kayla Hamilton. And I had never really considered, to be very honest, even though I think I'm pretty aware in how much you need audio descriptions in film. And that even if people visually impaired would want to, would have, well, that would be important to make films accessible for everyone. That was really interesting, even with the kind of films that we asked, that we got, because a lot of films didn't have audio description. All the, all, all the films didn't have it. The whole audio description for films started really recent. So most films don't have it. And then finding somebody who can do the audio description became, uh, we're still in the middle of that. So... Mm-hmm. That's been an, an, an awareness that I've gained even 
doing this festival and and making sure that everything is accessible and then finding where where I was failing or where a lot of the films didn't have that right so it's it's also it's also humbling <laughs> well do you can you acknowledge the fact that a lot of what you do and i mean this in the most complimentary way is a public service yeah of course i don't do this festival for myself in a way it's just like really something that i hope to spark a conversation every time we do it and that people if you see a group of of films made by and with people with disabilities in this case that it creates awareness and i hope it creates awareness of course i'm not i have no grand illusions it's a small festival it's a niche mm -hmm. a niche form screen dance right but you know, Merce Cunningham, you know, I don't know if that was Merce Cunningham, I think, who said, like, you you know, it's imp if you only read one person with your art, it's important. And yeah. that person can reach another. Yeah. So I do hope that it can spark something in other people and maybe create a dialogue. That's definitely something I'm thinking Well, that's of. huge. And that's obviously critically important. What about what you haven't done and would like to do? Yeah, it's a great question. It's like, <laughs> I actually have a lot of things I still want to do. So <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to stop anywhere soon. But my big well, project, like, yeah, my big project that I decided I have to do um, in the next two years and finish is an um, a film in Suriname, which takes on a lot of, I, I'm just going to back backtrack that, that I'm eternally fascinated by everything colonialism, post-colonial, and even my own background in how people um, traveled around the world and out of cruelty also came a lot of interesting meeting of people, right? Um, and so the next project I want to do is a feature experimental documentary in Suriname, former Dutch Guyana. And um, I've been trying to do it for 20 years and never seem huh. to get money for it. Um, and all my films are born out of the, the, that want. But I'm now also filming myself. So I also have done the camera for my last two films. And, and so I'm going to do that. And it talks about uh, part of my heritage that is, um, is Jewish and the Creole Jews in um in Suriname and that whole heritage is the oldest Jewish um, still existing settlement. And also talking about all the dances and the different groups in that particular country, which was exchanged for former New Amsterdam. So I'm super fascinated by that. And then also the first synagogue in New York was funded by Surinamese Jews. And there's so just like this whole exchange wow. between New Amsterdam, where I'm at now, right? And former, and to exchange it with the British for Guyana, which is Suriname, where my family is from. And then all the unintended consequences of this labor, and then also the beautiful, cultural expressions that came out of that. So that's my next film. It's a working title called Isa, which is the lead character. 
So, mm-hmm. and that's a big project. I actually need time. I'm, I'm going to have some time off next year to go and film. Um, and then hopefully I can do the whole thing as envisioned or uh, make a shorter version. And then I have other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like you sit around and do nothing. Do you have, um, do you commute? And I use the term in quotes to the Netherlands. Do you still have a lot of family um, overseas? Yeah. So I have family in mostly in Curaçao and in the Netherlands. And my dad just passed. My mom is still alive. And I'm a dual citizen now. I'm both American and Dutch. And yes, I do go back. You do have a lot of irons in the fire. It's it's exciting. You don't let anybody or anything get in your way, which is terrific. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's it's a good way of putting it. You know, I think somebody asked me, my uh, a good friend, Marie Condé, I don't know if you know her, the writer, very influential in my life. I think she's in her 80s by now. Um still influences me and just an idea of what it means to be from the Caribbean and the colonies. And um, she has, she never reads the reviews of her work. And she says that, that if she starts to think about that, she won't create or write. And I do feel that too. So it's not like I'm deliberately not ignoring people, but just keeping my eye on the story that I think needs right. to be told. Yeah. You know? It's like the eye on the prize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not thinking. Oh, I, I'm not thinking. If people stop me, I don't think people stop each other. Minus, you know, if it's some crazy dictator somewhere. But um, yeah, it's just finding it, and it, it's yeah. I would say that. <laughs> well, yours sounds like such a rich, rewarding life with so much more life to live, and certainly we have to be grateful for the Gapries of the world. Who are out there, you know, exposing us and sharing with us. I think that's that's huge. And we're grateful for that, Gabri. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much to me, Sandy, because, you know, you're just doing the work. And then it's really um, wonderful that it's that it helps shine a light for other people as well. Yes. And it's not just about you. It, I mean, it starts that way, but it's, that is so wonderful. And you've got a lot more life left to live. And that's so great for us as you continue to create. So for that, we're really grateful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. Well, I would love it, Gabri, if you would continue to keep us in your loop and let us know what projects you have up your sleeve and share with us. It's a fascinating life. It's just the end, right? For me, it's not really about my story. It's about all these things that we all have in common because we, the, the whole, even for, for Suriname, there's so many links to New York. There's so many links to so many people, to the Chinese continent, to to the Portuguese Jews who came there, to the people from Indonesia came to work as contract workers, to all these places of the work. So there's so many connections with so many people who have lineage to that. I can't thank you enough for sharing your life and your passions with us, Gabri. And as I said, please continue to keep us in your loop. We'd love to hear what's going on in your professional and personal life. I can't thank you enough for sharing all of that with us. Thank you so much, Sandy. Have a great day. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <music>